Turn to the book of Psalms, number 37. Psalms, number 37. I'm reading through the Psalms now in my morning readings and came across this Psalm the other day. I've read it many times, as I'm sure some of you have. I like to read each line, each word, and take my time. I'm in no hurry to read the Bible anyway. There's no race there, but it's just enjoying each sentence and each verse. And the very first verse... It's what I want to talk about tonight. There are many, many sermons in Psalm 37 if you're a preacher. If you had a discussion group, you could get a number of different topics that we all have to deal with out of Psalm 37. It just deals with a lot of things that are familiar to all of us. The one tonight will be. I've titled it, not because I'm so clever with titles, but because it was a picture I had in my mind, the title of our message tonight is Two Dogs That Bite. Two Dogs That Bite. Well, you're welcome. Two Dogs That Bite. Now, all of us know what a biting dog is. A dog can bite and actually take a life. I mean, we hear about maulings as tragic and terrible, and people have sometimes have been bitten by a dog that did nothing more than just maybe break the skin or leave a red mark. So there are various degrees of how a man can be affected by the bite of a dog. And it's various ways our subject matter tonight affects people, affects Christians. But everybody in this room has been affected by it, may still be, while I'm speaking, affected by it, may be wrestling with it or may not know that's a problem you have and you need to wrestle with it. It's like two dogs that bite. Let me read that verse in verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Now the two dogs that bite are fretting and envy, being envious. It would be hard for any of us to deny that amongst ourselves. We, we might not want to admit it. We'd like to think we've advanced beyond that. And maybe some of you, maybe most of us have. But it's still there. See, th these two words will need a, a definition, not only from the Hebrew, but from what, what it is in our own life. This word fret means literally to burn. The Hebrew word for fret is most of the time translated kindled. You get a fire. It has to do with anger or being hot or an attitude because both of these words develop attitudes in us. Not always attitudes you get rid of, really. Attitudes, they define you. People know you by these attitudes, and one of them is by this word fretting, you just seem to be unsettled a lot or, or you're mad all the time or easy to get mad. It doesn't take much for you to fret. It seems like today it's our society. So many people in our society are mad. People get ticked off over little things today. A traffic light, you didn't leave it soon enough. Road rage, we hear about road rage all the time. People die because they can't handle their temper or they can't subdue this emotion of anger. It controls them. They can't control it. They just fly off the handle. And as a Christian, you know you shouldn't. You sometimes do. And it bothers you the rest of the day, and it should. Maybe not the whole day. Because it's not something that should control us, but it does. If you're controlled by things that vex you, then things that vex you are your master. They have more effect upon you than the Word of God does. Because God said this is not a way you should walk. And when you get vexed out in anger and you want to throw and lash out and say something and do this or do that, it means that thing controls you. Just like unforgiveness controls people. You can't forgive somebody in your life or somebody in your past, somebody that did you wrong or harmed you. And when that person's name or face or picture comes up, this seething thing comes up, you oh, I remember, and you can't forget it. When you can't forget what somebody did to you, it means usually that person really does control you. They don't know it, they're not even trying to. But just the fact that you allow what they did or what they said one time in your life that caused you harm or did you injury, you can't forget it, you can't forgive them. 
It will keep you out of heaven in Matthew. It will keep you out of the kingdom of God. Because one thing God does not give us, the luxury of having, is unforgiveness. But you'll find that a cousin, maybe a third cousin of unforgiveness, is vexing here. Because the thing that vexes people, that causes us to cop an attitude, is what we see in evildoers. Isn't that what it said? Fret not thyself because of evildoers. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's go to the word envious. And envy, he said, be not envious against the workers of iniquity. We could say and try to be innocent and say, well, why would we be envious of the workers of iniquity? The world is full of the workers of iniquity. The world is full of self-ruled, self-serving people who do whatever they can, step on whoever they have to, whatever they need to do to arrive at a place of importance where they're looked up to, where they're well-to-do, or they're famous. Seems like everybody wants to aspire to be famous, to get some mic time or TV time or be noticed and admired or talked about or have new stuff and wear new stuff and go new places, be unlimited lifestyle. God doesn't have to be a part of that, they say. God only hinders that. And you see people all the time from athletes, rock people, the rock stars, politicians, shrewd Wall Street criminals, and yet people envy them. They wish inside, I wish I had what he had or she had. Because you think in the back of your mind, if I had what he's got, I'd be comfortable, I'd be happy. Just like a young man sees that important, popular kid in school running around in his rich daddy's car with the pretty girl beside him. All of the girls want to get in that car. And he thinks, boy, if I had a car like that and girls like that, I'd, I'd be happy. Sometimes the person you're looking at and the person you're thinking of is a heathen, an unregenerate. And how many famous people today that the world admires aren't? And we see so many people that seem to be so important. I remember a, a, a famous golfer, very famous golfer one day watching him. I admired his skills and I was watching him one day and he didn't make a very good shot at the microphone was too close to him. And he took the Lord's name in vain right there. I'm sure everybody else heard him. And then the question, as a Christian, then the conscience pops up and it says, now, with regards to him and your admiration of his talents, which goes with him. Because you like to hear what he has to say, not how he hits a ball, but when they interview him, it's something about, yeah. And the question comes up. You want to admire that? Would you want your kids to be like him? Say, no, I don't. He's going to hell when he dies. I mean, the guy that talks like that, he's going to perish. Why would I want anything to do with that? And the Bible teaches that. And yet it's so easy because I can't do what he does. I can't hit a golf ball like that. Don't even care if I can. How about that? Not even anymore, not even interested. But if I was and I wanted to be like that, I'd probably want to watch and see and so I could hit it like he could. But I don't care anything about that. Why should I want that man even in my thoughts or in my life? Listen to me. There's no spiritual benefit. No good can come from any kind of association or relationship with him. And I'm going to take something that God has redeemed and try to somehow... Have it fixated on something that is unregenerate? I should not envy people like that. See, the word envy also means to, mainly means to be jealous. That's what that attitude is when that boy sees somebody, sees a car with a girl in it, and I wish I had that. Or we see the guy across the street gets a new car every year and a nice house and... Of course, we don't live on a street like that, but, you know, if you did, you saw the nice house and all this, and these people just have it all. 
they can just do whatever they want to. A kid in our high school when I grew up, he was like that. His daddy was the, the well-to-do man in town. They had all the money, the nice, they had everything. We used to spend our summers out at their house at their swimming pool. I mean, nobody else could spell swimming pool, let alone have one. And you know, just sort of envy all that, boy, wouldn't it be nice? And it's just, wow, how can you have so much? And yet the end of his life and his family, as it turns out, they're all gone now. And I don't think any of them, unless they got changed in the time when I left, I don't think any of them are happy campers tonight. I'd hate to think that I spend my life wanting to be like somebody who dies and goes to hell. That I was all taken with somebody who was lost. Now, you can't escape those kind of people in the world. You're around them when you work. You're going to see this and hear that, and people are going to talk about them a lot. But they're everywhere. But envy, along with being vexed and being just fretting, Fretting and yeah, yuckety yuck and yakety yak. Yakety yak probably be good with fretting. Fretting, yakety yakin'. Yakety yakin', fretting. And envious. The Bible says that wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? I remember looking in the New Testament this week at, at the verses in the Bible where envy's crowd of words, the words that go with envy, fornication and, and all kinds of other kinds of sins that surround envy, and it describes all the people with these traits are lost. You die like this, you perish like that. Boy, you had it all, you were Mr. and she was Miss, and all. but when it's over, it's over forever. I don't want my life to wind up like that. I don't want to be like them. Now, the question is, that's easy to say. It gets a lot of amen. Well, we get one. We had one. Question is, can you really live like that? I mean, can you really say when it comes to people that you kind of have an admiration for, would you really want to be like them? If you got a Bible, look into Proverbs with me. Turn to the next book to your right, Proverbs chapter 3. And verse 31, see, envy is a bad dog. They need to chain that thing up, pull its teeth, and tie bricks to its legs or something. Because it's a killer. People who live with envy, wanting, jealous of what other people have, are the same people that are always criticizing other people. All Critical. It's part of the family. You envy what somebody has, you wish you could have it, you haven't got that, they did something you didn't have, or they had something in a family that you couldn't have, and all you can do is tell all the wrong things they do with it, or how that's, they look at the way they act, well, you're no different, you're acting the same way. They control you now. You're letting that control you. But listen to this, Proverbs 3, and verse 31. Envy not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Now, what is an oppressor? Well, you have to define that yourself. Somebody who oppresses other people. But even if it was back to the popular look at me people, this age, look at me, give me a mic, notice me. I'm going to paint my hair green and wear my pants around my knees just so you'll look at me. I want your attention. Next thing you know, you think they're cool, you start wearing your pants down around your knees. Not here. No, not here. I'm telling you, in society, amongst you young folks, see, I'm too old for this. But I notice today amongst young people, if there is a certain dress style that gets a lot of attention, you tend to want to dress like that because you want that. There's a lack of some kind of a constitution that takes a stance that, you know, I don't need that. I don't need to dress like that to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord? Yeah. I don't need to dress like that to serve the Lord because I don't think the Lord would want me to dress like that. Or wear that kind of 
racy looking outfit if you're a girl, a revealing outfit or a shapely outfit. Look at me, notice me, ain't I something? Woo, I don't need that. There's not a young lady in this room or a mother in this room that needs that. That is not on your need list. I looked in the concordance for my need list today, and back here under knees, I couldn't find anywhere. I looked all down through you, and I couldn't find anywhere that that was a need in our life to be like other people, to dress like other people, to act like other people. Yeah, man, it was happening. To, to do that. I don't need that. Why would I envy people like that? Because deep down inside, you wish you were like that. And let me tell you something, folks. If I may just do a little throwback to Sunday just for a little bit, and I'll get more of it next Sunday. You do a little bit of that kind of stuff. Have that kind of attitude the world is impressing on you to have, and you watch your mouth go shut during praise. Watch the hands that should be up hang down because something on the inside says, no, this is not who you're serving. Your heart's all wrapped up in being... Your word, cool. Not being saintly, not being holy. I mean, who wants to be holy? At what time in history has it ever been popular to be holy? When has the world ever tried to act like a holy person? When they start carrying Bibles to school, man, I want to be holy like that guy's holy. Now, holy is in the heart, but they, you know, they try to be like you. It's never happened. It never will happen. You drive out of the lot, you don't scratch off. You don't do that. There's nothing to show off. Yeah, but I got 480 horsepower. You have 465 foot-pounds of torque. I can spin these tires all the way down, halfway down. I'm sure you can. You need to get you a, a little car. There's something about the envy you see in people that do that and how other people remark, hey, man, hey, or somebody that's bad and tough, and everybody wants to bulk up, take steroids so they can get notice. And then next thing you know, all these guys are having all kinds, men are having all kinds of physical problems. Later on in their life, let me tell you something, at a time you don't want to be having problems. You don't want to be my age and start having problems. Trust me. Just trust me. None of you are, but you don't want to grow old and break down. Trust me. And you start breaking down when you start looking for the world for your attention and for your help and your assistance and your aid. Your help comes, they say, from the hills until you discover, as this psalm will, that your help doesn't come from the world and its system. That's not what God wants. Your help comes from God. It's God who wants your life and wants your attention. Now, he leaves you in a vile world. He leaves us in a vile world that's full of vile people. We get to see unlawful, unrighteous, iniquitous things happen all around us. We cannot but hear the news ability today. The news in one side of the world can be on this side of the world in a moment. We can't escape all this stuff and the TV is full of all these new shows now, you know, the, the, being a star, I don't know what they call them, but, or jumping up and down, dancing, and then making heroes. Everybody is given something to aspire to, but none of it at any time, in any way, shape, or form has anything to do remotely. Now, that's pretty small with God. And if you get all of that under a microscope and look at it, you'll find that God stands against the effect all of that stuff has on your life, and he must judge it. Unless you repent and get rid of it, that will be judged. You'll be condemned along with the rest of the world, as 1 Corinthians 11 says. So, let me give you one more. Turn to Proverbs 23. And verse 17, let not your heart envy sinners. Does your Bible say that? Proverbs 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners. You're going to have to judge somebody. You know that? You're going to have to judge somebody. I'm going to judge that golfer as a sinner. 
Well, how do you know it's a sinner? You don't know why. He can tell. What is it about a tree and, and uh, fruit, not bark? But the fruit, if the fruit's rotten, guess what? The smiling, educated, socially apt person is rotten. But we don't want to call them rotten because they don't look rotten. Now that mangy thing they drug off the street, that homeless person that killed somebody or tore somebody up or, or did some kind of damage to somebody that has no sense about them, now that's rotten. But he ain't no different than the other guy. The thing that's rotten in people when it's rotten at all is heart. Because the Bible said out of your heart flow the issues of life. Everything about you is something that initiates and begins in your heart. Hide the word in your heart. That doesn't mean you're going to live it. It means it's there. Now, the good thing about that word in your heart is that it affects your conscience. It affects your thinking. It warns you. It doesn't mean you won't do it. Sometimes we violate our conscience until it gets seared, then it doesn't bother us anymore. And we do those things because we're more interested in the world than we are God. Let me go and show you one more here. Look at Proverbs 24. This might be pretty tough. Proverbs 24, the first verse. It said, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Neither desire to be with them. Now let's go back to verse 1 of Psalms 37. Evildoers. These two dogs are called fretting and envy. And one of the things that makes us fret, that kindles a fire in us, is evildoers. Now, in this sense, I'm not talking about an unrighteous person or a Christian who's not living the life. I'm talking about good people that are taught Earnest people that pray, people that try, people that want to live right. And we're confronted, like I said earlier, we're confronted all the time every day about evildoers in this world. We hear what people say. You know, I'm a big, big fan of Israel. I mean, I'm a major fan. I'm almost got the star of David. Look at here. What am I about? And I hear what people are saying all around the world. And I've come to the conclusion, the same one the Bible does, that there's two things this world hates, despises and loathes. One is Israel and the other is Jesus. They cannot talk about Israel without talking about how bad they are. And they can't talk about Jesus because they don't know who he is. They leave that out. You bring Jesus up in any conversation. Try it. Mention Jesus in a conversation or when you got saved. Instead of saying the Lord, say Jesus and watch everybody go, <clears throat> oh, well. There's something about him people don't want anything to do with. And yet, every time they get close to that day of death or when the doctor says, I'm sorry, we can't help you, then they start thinking about him. There's something obnoxious about Jesus to this world, which ought to tell us something about this world, which lies in wickedness. It's a dark place. People think the bright lights of this age is, but the Bible says it's all dark. The only light in the world is us. Those who bear the light, who have the word. There is no other light on this earth and in this world. But the word evildoer means exactly what it says, one who is simply bad, a bad person. And that bad person would fight you in the alley. If you told them when you die you're going to hell because they would say, as I've been telling you for months, they would say, you know, I believe in a hell. I believe in heaven and hell and good and bad. But he said, I'm not that bad. I may not be perfect and I'm not a... You know, a good person and, and all the time, but I'm not bad enough to go to hell. But that is an evildoer because his life, while he tries to say something that is spiritually constructive and right, his life, his life is a lie. It's just like we spoke the other day in Titus chapter 1. They profess to know God, 
but in works they deny him. Now that's an evildoer in the church. And yet if you say to somebody in the church, you know, you're an evildoer. I don't know how you do that, but if you said to somebody in the church, well, you're an evildoer, well, they're going to get after you. But the fact is, if they're not doing things God's way, then they're doing things some other way. The word can also have to do with covetousness. Lust for the world's goods. How many of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments? Good. Then you're familiar with in Exodus 20, where you find them originally, Exodus 20. And the first four commandments are the longest in definition compared to the last six. But the first four have to do with our relationship with God. No other gods. No images of God. No likeness, no doves, no bird, no, nothing in heaven, no anything. Don't take his name. His name is sacred. Be careful how you use it. And remember the Sabbath day, he said, to keep it holy. Those are the first four. The next one, he said, honor your parents. You don't have to agree with everything they say, but you have to honor them. You have to respect your parents. And if you don't, well, it'll cut your life short. The Bible said that. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that has to do with living longer. And it's honoring your parents. And the second one, thou shalt not kill. Some say it means to murder. The next one he said, don't commit adultery. How popular is that today? And then he says the next one, don't steal. And then he said, number nine, don't bear false witness, don't lie. And then verse 17 of Exodus 20, he talks about what we're talking about, what I just said here about covetous. He said, thou shall not covet your neighbor, his wife, his employees. And he ends verse 17 with anything he's got. And that's why we envy. Because there's a spirit that ramps us up to wish we had what somebody else had. It goes with jealousy. I wish I had that. Well, he doesn't know what to do with it. He's too old to do with it anyway. Jealousy. And that's a violation of one of God's commandments. See, these commandments are ageless. There is nothing about the Ten Commandments that saves a man. Not a thing in there that saves you. Nothing has to do with salvation. It just simply says this is the kind of life, this is the kind of attitude that leads to the kind of life that God wants his people to have. And so much of it is negative. Don't do, don't do, don't do, and don't do. Because the easiest thing in the world to do, the two easiest things in the world to do is sin and quit. That's the easiest thing in the world you can do. That's the easy road that most people take. I don't need to go to church. I'll take my chances. Sin. It's that kind of an attitude that gets a lot of people in trouble and gets people looking somewhere besides God for the things in this life that they think are so important and that they treasure so much. But there are three terms I found in the Bible that describe evildoers. One is a disregard for God. A disregard for God. They're aware of God. The world's aware of God. They can't escape the thousand churches on a thousand corners. Everybody in the family somehow or maybe goes to church and everybody has a grandmother that was a saint. Or a mother and a father, aunt and uncle, somebody in the family that they were fond of or attached to was just holy and spiritual. So they're all familiar with the God who their holy ancestors served. But they themselves... They'll show you by their daily lives, their weekly choices, that God plays no role in their life. They will lie for gain, which is iniquity. They will cheat and steal and break every commandment if it gets them a better deal. And sometimes the people that live like that, wear the big ring, drive the fancy car, you see all that and go, man, I wish I had that. And God said, don't, 
Don't wish you had any of that. None of that kind of stuff. Look at verse 7 and 8, Psalm 37. Rest, he said, in the Lord, and fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Get your eyes off of these so-called successful, well-to-do people in this world. Let me tell you something. I guess it would be nice if you had everything you ever wanted. I guess it would be nice if everybody in here was a multi-gillionaire. If each person in this room was worth a billion dollars. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You wouldn't even be here. Listen to me. You wouldn't be here if you, if you had that. Because you would have a lot of other things that were to you had become more important than this. But you don't have a billion dollars now. You're all a bunch of hundred heirs. <laughs> or grant heirs. Grant's on a $50 bill anyway. You're here. You realize, we all do, that we're limited in what we can do right now or where we can go or what we can have. We know we're limited. God isn't. We know we are. And just perhaps all this wishy I had and, ooh, look at that. Maybe all this is just a test in your life. Are you going to make it to heaven? Are you going to crucify your flesh with its affections and what's the other word? Lust thereof? Do we have the problem? Do people have the problem? Does the flesh have affections and lust? I want to be somebody. I want to have something. And then we usually say, instead of, I want to have this, we say, uh, I want my kids to have this or that. Which interpreted me, no, you don't. You wish you had it and the kids could get in on it. But let me tell you something. You read the Bible. You read it long enough, listen to it long enough, and you'll find that there are things in this life that are far more of a treasure than the stuff in this world. You brought nothing into this world, and all the gain of this world stays in this world when you die. You can't take anything that you've accumulated with you. So you best treat everything as the Bible teaches that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Not to be owned by or possessed by or ruled by. You get some money, then you quit giving and you start thinking, everybody's trying to get my money. Everybody wants something from me. Then you start getting stingy and tight. You weren't that way before. Could it be that because of that prevailing attitude, God lets things wait a while before they come? He will. Until we learn from our heart to transfer our allegiance from ourself and our way to God and his way. Until we do that, we're probably going to struggle with a lot of things and deal with an attitude. But you deal with the attitude, you get the victory. God can give to a man who does not want to possess it all the time, but use it for God's glory. God can give him the world. In fact, this psalm says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, God will give you the desires of your heart. Most Christians can't even relate to that. How can that be? It can be because God said it. But the key word is delight. Was that verse 4? He said, delight yourself in the Lord. Find your joy and your comfort in the Lord. In singing the hymns and reading the scriptures and listening to the instruction that God gives and, and then praying about it and then resting with yourself and getting up every day and praying and thanking God and begin your day with God in all your thoughts. You'd be surprised how much more meaningful that is to a Christian than obtaining all the world. There comes a time in your life you look at all the new stuff and all the fancy stuff and that doesn't mean anything to you. 
I know I can have what I want now. Up to a point, I know where the line's drawn too. But I know how to walk away from stuff. I know how to get it because he's given it to me. Show me how. But I've also learned how to walk away from it. And I've also learned it's more blessed to give. To give and make somebody else happy with what you got than to just try to make yourself happy. I can say with Bonnie and I, this is truth. It doesn't take much at all for us to be happy. Amen. I told one of my grandsons, little Gus, where is Gus? I told Gus one time, I said, Gus, Granny's mean, isn't she? And he said, no. I said, Granny's happy. It's interesting he didn't say, no, Granny's got money. Because Granny doesn't have a clue what kind, if she's got any money at all. She wouldn't know where to go, what bank to go to, or what count, or what, how much she wouldn't have a clue. Trust me. Wouldn't have an idea. Because that's what happens when you're more occupied with something that is a treasure. Lay not for yourselves. Come on, preachers. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where what corrupts it? Moth corrupts. And where thieves break through to what? Steal. 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 That's right, Michael. But lay up treasures in heaven. You're doing it right now. The plan is being laid out for us. Our obstacle in the way is this world system that we think we got to have it and this or that. I'm looking forward to the day that some of you work hard and get something finally there. And God says, now I want you to give that too. What? Yeah. And you say, but Lord, I worked so hard for it. God may say the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. All the maters and all the taters or tomatoes and the potatoes are mine. And all the things you have, the breath you're breathing, the skin that covers your body is mine. Don't tell me what I don't want you to do with mine. It's not yours. It's mine. You're in charge of it. And how well you manage that is going to depend, a whole lot's going to depend on how you and I confront each other at the end. I want God to say to me like I would you, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. I got to be faithful. Not only does a man have disregard for God in his life, an evildoer, but a second thing that an evildoer does is he deviates from God. He goes away from, from God. I want you to turn to Psalms 56. Psalms 56 and verse 5. And then I want you to find Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, if you can. Psalms 56 and verse 5. This talks about the evildoers. Every day they rest my words... All their thoughts are against me for evil. How do you rest words from God? I'm just asking you a simple question. God says here, talking about evildoers. They hear what God says. They hear a sermon. They hear a message. They hear a conversation. They read a book, watch something. Anyway, they're confronted with the word. They hear what's said. It's pretty clear. It's pretty plain. God speaks in simple terms to most everybody. How do you rest it? You begin to apply logic and reason to it. The first sin that ever happened in the world happened that way. Remember the sin? Remember what the devil said to Eve? Hath God said. And if she would have continued to listen to him, what would he do? He would begin to glamorize the world and her role in it. God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit. Eve, he knows you'll be like him. He doesn't want any competition. You'd be God. You'd be God. Wow, and everybody and all the fruits, all the trees would go, Eve. You say, well, that's a lie. Of course it's a lie. Jesus said he was a father of lies from the beginning. Of course he's a liar. 
It never turns out the way he shows it to you. It never is glamorous. That affair that that man has or that woman has, it never does turn out good. It never does. Like the wicked, it's a momentary thing and then it, evil comes down. Bam! And it follows you the rest of your life. The stealing you did from somebody, the, whatever you did, anybody, anything. The devil promises you gain, wealth, well-being to do. He pays you off in counterfeit money every time. I don't know if you can ever learn that, if you can ever see that, but it's true. It is absolutely true. But Habakkuk, who? Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1, verse 4. Listen to this, verse 4. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Let me give you another translation. For this reason the law is feeble, and decisions are not affected the way you live, the choices you're making. For the upright man is circled about by evildoers, because of which right is twisted. You're listening to somebody who is distorting the Bible, making it say something it does not say because they're trying to please you, gain your admiration, probably trying to get your money so they can advance themselves. You say, how could that be? Trust me. Another translation, New King James. It says, therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse Judgment proceeds. That's why we live wrong. That's why church people in this modern day are living wrong, thinking wrong, doing wrong, seeing wrong. Somebody has corrupted the truth. It's been watered down so that it doesn't mean what it said. What did Jesus say in Matthew 15? He said, you have made the word of God of no effect by your traditions. The Bible says this. You say, well, yeah, but see, this is what we do with that. He said, you've made the word of God of no effect. What it was designed to do, it cannot do because you've talked these people out of that. They believed you more than me. They've got a Bible they can read, but they're afraid of their interpretation, so they listen to somebody else interpret it. How many times would I have to say to you, don't believe it because I said it? I'm not your conscience. You search the scriptures to find out for yourself if these things are true. The third thing about these evildoers, the Bible word called pernicious. Pernicious. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And the word pernicious has to do with something that is damnable, destructive, like a heresy. Heretical. The word means to choose. To lift something out of the Bible, make something out of it that's not what it was intended to be, and declare or espouse that as the truth. And the people who follow that are following a pernicious, damnable, destructive way. But that's what happens. We'll go back to Psalm 37. You see what the people in this world have. Again, you look at all the goodies that they have. And yet the psalmist, Psalm 37, refers 13 times in one psalm. Uses the word wicked 13 times. Evildoers is another word, but the word wicked is used 13 times. It is God showing us who are confronted by all this stuff, who live in the world where all this stuff is going on, that you're looking at wickedness. People who do this, live like this, act that way, are wicked. That's what they're saying. Now, we don't want to say that because they don't look wicked. Sometimes we compare ourselves with somebody else and we think, well, I ain't better than they are. That's not what we're talking about has nothing to do with you being better than anybody. You're not better than anybody. Hopefully we're better than we used to be. 
But the world is full of God rejecting, God disregarding, pernicious people, pernicious ways who have found its way into the church. And it began to corrupt the church and its systems of worship. Look at the music today. Now, you young people think, well, in your day, we played all them old pokey songs. No, we didn't. We say, this is the day. We did that. And I'm not talking about so much the church music as, you know, the world's music. I remember all the old songs I grew up. Every now and then, one of them will pop up to the surface. I'll catch myself singing one of them to Bonnie. On a day like today. You don't want Pat Boone's old songs. When I was a senior in high school, White Buck Shoe, that was in. I remember all that stuff, but I know there's no value to it. I remember that was back when you could actually understand the words that were being sung. They didn't sing with wet mics in those days. They didn't do that. Music today is sort of noise. Gold label noise. Back in my day, it was Andy Williams, Perry Como. You all don't know what you meant, but anyway. Music. Look at the dress today. People go to church today like they're going to work. Yeah. I saw a picture not long ago. It was a movie about a miracle. But in this particular church, in a modern setting, the guy was preaching not only in his shirt out, but the pants he had on were those running pants. They were blue with a white stripe down the side. What do you call them, running pants? Tennis shoes? I guess he went to church like he was going to go out and run. Coming before God, I don't mean anything. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to look right. You don't have to have, you don't mean dress up anymore. Dressing up's out. That was for yesterday. Yesterday was when people used to say, well, I don't have anything to wear to church because they inherently knew in their heart that you don't come just like you got out of bed. Combs are still for sale. So are razors. Shirt tails can be tucked in. All you have to do is unbuckle your button, loosen yourself up a little bit, tuck it down, straighten it up, get your gig line straight, and put your belt back on. Your what straight? Your gig line. What's your gig line? That's the, the pleated part of your shirt matches the center of your pants all the way down. It's just called the gig line. We have mirrors in our house. I've seen people walking the streets today that don't own a mirror. Psalm 37 again, please. God's telling us here, don't envy these people in the world who seem to have it all. Listen to me and let me say something. Don't envy the people in the world that seem to have it all. They don't have what you've got. And they cannot get what you've got. It's not for sale. What you've got can only be given. And it can only be given by one person. That's our Heavenly Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't give it, you'll never have it. Now, 9 and 10. Listen to these words. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, but it shall not be. He's going to go away as quick as he came. Verse 12, the wicked plotteth against the just, and he does, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. 15, their word shall enter into their own hearts, and their bows shall be broken. This is their strength. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Verse 20. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord shall be as a fat of lambs. They shall consume unto smoke and they shall consume away. Verse 28. Second part of verse at the end of it. 
They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked, his seeds, children, they shall be cut off also. There's nothing here that God wants. Verse 35, for I have seen the wicked in great power. I have too. And spreading himself like a green bay tree, I have too. I've seen him really take advantage of the moment. Yet he passeth away. And lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. All the noise about last year's World Series, and yet a handful of people within 10 seconds cannot even tell you who played. And unless you live in Kentucky or Indiana, you don't even know who played in the National Basketball Championship last year. Yuck. Or... There's so much that we think is so important, the Super Bowl. Yuck. And we think, how do we get so caught up in all this stuff? Because it's what you want. It's where your heart and your pleasure is. You like that kind of stuff. I enjoy, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to try to hide that. I don't enjoy a good ball game. I do. I like to see good talent. I like to really see real good. I just don't like attitudes. I can't handle that attitude. That, you know, getting paid $10 million a year and acting like a three-year-old. Or getting paid $10 million a year and caught selling drugs. How much money do you need? How well to be do you need to be? And all these wicked that you emulate and all this kind, how many of them need drugs and alcohol to function? How many of them are just completely unhappy? There's treatment homes all around the country for various kinds of problems, and they're in them all the time. Movie stars, the people that everybody talks about and glamorizes, they almost dread getting up in the morning. Nothing goes the way they want it to. They have to paint themselves and fix themselves and artificially speak. and It's just to function. And here we are. God forbid it's us that would do it, but here we are. Looking at all them, wishing we were like that. And they're all going to perish and never be. But you, you are destined to live forever. You are destined to enter into the glories of the Lord that he has prepared for you. That's what we're destined for. And the wealthy, go to the famous Psalm, Psalm 73. Just to the right a little bit, Psalms 73, where the psalmist said in verse 3, he said, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Wicked and foolish in the same boat here. Here's what he said. For there were no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about. They really think there's something. It's like a chain around them. Violence covers them as a garment. There's just no peace and joy in their life. They're always tore up. Verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. I haven't figured that out yet, but it has to do with well-being. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could want. And they are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression, for they speak loftily. They're boasters and they're proud. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. They're experts. Therefore, his people return there, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how does God know? God doesn't know all this stuff. He doesn't know what we're doing. He doesn't really care. Hey, after all, I'm just normal. Hey, come on, man. And there is no knowledge in the Most High. Behold, these are the ungodly. You wonder who the ungodly are? There they are. These are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase their riches. And the psalmist looked back and said it just doesn't seem to be fair. 
they don't even care a thing about God. Look at their lives. Look at their lives. If any of those people died, you cannot say anything spiritual about any aspect of their life, except maybe they got a star when they were in vacation Bible school. They threw it all away because you can't have this God business in your life and become famous and well-to-do or be elected. You got to give it up. And they did. And they began to justify it, as he says. I mean, come on. And then they die. And when they die, they perish. What a waste. What a waste. But the psalmist looked at them. He said, Lord, it's not fair. We go to church. We suffer. We struggle. We put our hand to the plow. We won't borrow and all this and stuff. And we kind of, we maintain and hold fast and do without. And, oh, God, everybody else is laughing at us. Well, that's what he said. Verse 13, surely he said, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. What difference did it make? I'm still not doing good. For all the day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. For if I say, I will speak thus, behold, if I should offend against the generation of my children, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I, I just, we've all done it once. I, it, you know, it's not right for those kind of people to have that. I mean, look at all those Arabs, those people that got all the billions of dollars. That, that, that's not right. Until, verse 17, until, the first word, until, until what? He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. And I don't want to end like they're going to end. Surely you did set them, O God, in slippery places, and you cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? Again, back to the drugs and the drinking, the miserable life. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. My heart was grieved, verse 21. I was pricked in my mind. And so foolish was I and ignorant that I was a beast before thee. Then he says, I begin to see what's going to happen. And you know what the door that God has opened to us? Heaven, eternal life. But it's a choice you make. God said, this is the way walk ye ended. The end of this journey is bliss. Nobody's mind in all of history, not even the great Minds have ever imagined what God has laid up in store for us. It's beyond, and it's ours if you make the right choices. Now, you know why you will make the right choice. If it's left up just me, I won't. But I like the idea that God, who started a good work in me, has a way a method and a means of getting me to make good choices. We call it chastening. That's why he never leaves his people alone. He leaves the world alone. Why didn't he leave you alone? Are you better than they are? No, you're different. God picked you, chose you out of the world. He said he did. He sent his message to everybody in the world. The grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Why did it affect you? Because a sovereign God, by his sovereign power, made a sovereign choice. He caused you to see it. He caused you to understand that choice. And by the power of his spirit, he brought you to him. He brought you to him, and things way beyond your pay scale were beginning to be revealed to you. And you say, oh, God. But the glory of it all means that what you once thought was so important to have out there and to be, it pales in the light of eternity. That's why he said, don't envy the wicked in Psalm 37. Don't wish you were like them. The wicked are as, as dross. They're going to be, and they're going to be gone. 
Most of us can't even remember the rich man in your hometown wherever you grew up. You might. But their life has no meaning now. They don't drive cars big enough for you to wish. They don't have faraway places glamorous enough that you've got to get there. If God wants you to get there, let me tell you something. He'll put it in your heart to believe that, and you'll start believing right, and he'll open doors for you. Until he does, I am as happy as I can be to sit in my house, in my kitchen, with my wife. What a dull life might be, depending on who you're sitting with. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot anymore. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of anything to know that every day when you get up, I'm a citizen of heaven today. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you know that? Well, I believe that. That's how I'm saved. I believe. I can't make it true. I got to believe it's true. I thank God for it. Let me close and say this about all the things that you seem to be denied right now of having. There's a lot of sermons right here what I want to say. There's a reason things are slow getting to us. There's a reason things aren't getting to us. Devil's at work to try to do everything he can to discourage you. That's why we keep teaching and keep teaching and keep teaching. Eventually, the light will break through the darkness and things will turn around for you. But all the promises that God has made in the Bible, all the promises are for us. All the promises are yes. And in Jesus Christ, they're all amen. God doesn't say, no, you can't have that. No, I don't want you to have that. He says all the promises are yes and amen. Now, he has a time schedule the way he does it. And there is a teaching that he gives you to know how to operate your faith in that way. But he does. Another thing is that correction is a way of life for Christian. Chastisement and correction. It's a way of life. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 73, Lord, why am I just, we're going through all this stuff. It's a part of the life. Probably, in his case, you're going to do without until you quit wishing you had what they had and recognize that God can give you more than what they've got. He said the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You know that? The wealth of the sinner is laid up for us. They don't inherit the earth. We do. The earth. Reigning and ruling with Christ on the earth. When the Israelites went into the promised land, it was already planted and harvested, and it was green and lush and flowing big pomegranates. Israel had nothing to do with it. They were slaves, but the slaves came in and began to rule and reign in that country. When Jesus comes back, we come with him. We're going to reign and rule with him on this earth. And all these things you think were so important that you had to struggle to get that you got your mind off of, he might give you a dozen of them now. You won't need a car. Can't have a wreck. Not if you're in a glorified body. Think of them big gardens. You don't have to eat anymore either because you can't die. You don't get hungry if you're in an eternal state. What a day that's coming. What a marvelous day that is coming. Not for rock stars and superstars and self-servers and self-pleavers, but for Christians. The scourge of the earth. The embarrassed group of people on the earth. Oh, everybody's talking about it. Everybody hates us. Of course they do. Of course they do. It's all a part of the plan, folks. And just remember, in closing with this, you have a purpose in this earth. You and I have a purpose for being on this earth. And that purpose is to do the will of God. Your prayer becomes, God, make it more meaningful to me than anything else. To have your will and my desire to do it. To be my goal in life. Teach me how to enjoy you by doing things like that. And remember this, you don't have to wish you had what somebody else has. You don't have to wish anymore that you could have anything. Psalm 37, verse 4, what do he say? Delight yourself. 
In what? In the one that's making you angry, huh? No, the one you're wondering about. Delight yourself in him. Delight yourself in him. What will he do? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Will he do that in another country? Could he do that in India? I've been there. Could he do that in Guatemala? Never been there. Could he do it in some jungle in Ecuador? There's no limits to God, is there? Preach the word. Amen. Bow your head with me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless to our hearts an understanding of your word. Give us a revelation of it. Help us to see it like you said it. Help it to become a part of our thinking. If we might wrap our faith around these words and let our hope be in Jesus and not our jobs. I ask your blessing to rest upon every person in this room. Every man that works, every woman that works, all the children, their minds, what they're doing. That we would all grow up and be good citizens, not only of this world, but of the kingdom of God. That young men will become men and young ladies shall become women. Strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Let this be our testimony, Lord. But we give you thanks for tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.